Now all across North Carolina, it's Carolina Newsmakers. Here's your host, Don Curtis. Well, welcome to Carolina Newsmakers, and what a timely occasion for our guest. We have Dr. Mike Walden with us, who has been with us, I don't know how many times through the years, but he is our, uh, our expert on the economy. And what a time to have you on, Dr. Mike Walden. It's such an interesting time. We're in a period of inflation. We uh, have all sorts of things going on, like the Ukraine situation, which is affecting the economy. So this is an excellent time to have you on and, and uh, have you share your thoughts on how this is going to affect us. So welcome to the program. Well, always, Don. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. Hi to Jason also. And, of course, we should mention that you are now the uh, professor emeritus at NC State because you have uh, essentially retired from your duties, your uh, full-time duties at NC State, but you're still quite active in uh, writing books and, and uh, giving speeches and all that sort of good stuff. So you're, sta- you're staying busy. You, you are just retired from that first profession, I guess. Right. Yes. I, I, I am. I am. I don't, I don't play golf or tennis. I do go to the gym in the morning, but I, I still am very interested in the economy and people's uh, fortunately want to hear what I have to say. And I've got some publishers who like what I write and I do, a, I do a biweekly column and um, have um, interviews with great, great people like you on WPTF. So yes, I am staying busy. I, I, I think that's in my, in my genes. My father was a, a carpenter. He's so totally different for pressure for, for profession but when he retired he still was hammering away on projects and so um that's how i enjoy retirement doing things yeah well i think in many many cases people find either a second career or uh, mm-hmm. are able to, to do things that are very productive and uh things they've always wanted to, have to, to do but didn't have the time well anyway since we've got you here of course, the topic on almost everybody's mind, and it's affecting us all at the pocketbook every time we go to the grocery store or buy gas or anything, uh, is inflation. So yes. um, what's the story here, and how long are we going to live with this? Well, the story is that the numbers still look bad. Uh, and Just a little background. Inflation measures the average increase in prices. What the federal government does is each, every month it goes out and surveys pretty much everything we buy. Then they can they can, uh, um, compile an index where um, they everyone obviously everything's not going to go up at the same rate. But what they do in forming an overall uh, increase is they weight the particular item by how important it is in a consumer's budget. So, for example, gasoline is going to get much higher weight than a can of peas. And uh, what we've seen, Don, really for the last uh, now two years is a steady increase in the rate of increase of prices, average prices. And the latest release was a real stunner to many people. It was um, showed that from March of 2021 to March of 2022, so over that year, uh, the what's called the Consumer Price Index, which is an average uh, increase in prices for things that, that people buy when it was 8.5%. And that's the highest rate in over 40 years. And I, will, I might say as a background, we do this, the federal government does the same thing in looking at the prices paid by producers. Uh, the consumer price index looks at prices that you and I pay as consumers, but there are businesses, well, like your business, Don, you're buying things from different vendors that, that consumers don't have anything to do with. The latest reading on that, hold your hat, was 11.2%, so even worse. 
So businesses in some sense have it, have it worse than consumers. But anyway, um, we are at a 40 year high. And I think to make matters worse throughout most of the 21st century, um, inflation was a non-issue because at the consumer level, it was maybe averaging, but somewhere between one and 2% a year. Now, obviously there are always gonna be individual items that go up much more than that. And there are gonna be items where prices go down but average was one or 2% a year. Pretty much no one paid much attention to inflation. Uh, most people got raises at least past that. But the problem with, one of the problems with the rates that we have now is it's rare you're gonna find someone who's gotten a, a wage increase of 8.5%. In fact, on average, people are not, they're getting, I think the latest average over that same time period for wages was an increase of something like uh, 4%. So essentially what's happened over the last year is people's standard of living has gone down because prices have gone up more than their income has gone up to, to afford those prices. So that is an issue. Uh, the president is, I think, as we speak, uh, as we're doing this, is in Greensboro talking about uh, inflation, talking about the supply chain. So yeah, this, this is a big deal. And I was, I was just starting my career uh, 40, well, 43 years ago when, when we went through a similar situation, which we can talk about later, but it's really not been for 43 years that we've had an inflation situation as bad as it is now. How much of this is related directly or indirectly to the effects of COVID-19 and all the pandemic changes in the way we function and do business? Well, I think oh, my overall answer would be it's all related to COVID-19. Now, now again, to, to just get into a little bit of the economics here, um, everything in economics is either supply or demand. Uh, supply means businesses uh, producing products and services. Demand means, uh, we're looking at the consumer level, people buying those products and services. And you have, you have a problem with inflation either when um, uh, consumer buying intent goes up very fast or when um, uh, production goes down. And the, the issue we've had over the last year is we've had both of those. We've had due to the generosity largely of the federal government in pumping trillions of dollars into the economy over the last two years, this spans two administrations. So this is totally nonpartisan. Uh, five and a half trillion dollars have been, has been pumped over the last two years into the economy in a variety of programs. We had the stimulus checks, we had um, uh, federal contributions on employment compensation, we've had uh, increases in childcare uh, 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 payments to people, a whole host of programs for consumers. We've had some programs for businesses. We've had money going to institutions like schools and hospitals and, and, and state and local governments. So that money has been deployed, but at the same time, uh, and this has really manifested itself more over the last year, we've had problems in what, what's largely called the supply chain. That is uh, due to maybe COVID and workers not going back to work because they've had COVID or uh, what's going on in China right now. China is shutting down again. We get a lot of things from China. We've not had a comparable increase in the supply of products and services that people are trying to buy. And so when you have that, you're going to have a, an increase in, in prices. So, and I think, yeah, I think all this was due to COVID. The programs wouldn't have been generated unless we had COVID and we wouldn't likely have had the problems with the supply chain without COVID. So uh, did we overreact uh, in a way that, uh, did we 
try to give too much impetus to the economy for fear that the economy would go south during COVID. It, it, you know, yeah. hindsight's twenty twenty. It is. It is. Over- and, and this is where we get a little in the politics, which I don't get into, but I'll just state. I mean, there 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 are people who are saying, well. Uh, the last COVID bill, which was passed in uh, March of 2021 under President Biden, it was 1.9%, 1.9 trillion. Ironically, the exact same number as President Trump's first bill in March of 2020. Some say that last one wasn't needed, that the economy was on the way, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I'll let the politicians, political people debate that. But I think if you go back to uh, particularly 2020, when most of this money was allocated, uh, we, we were we were looking at a situation that the country, our country, had not seen in over 100 years. You have to go back to the so-called Spanish flu, 1917 to 1919, when we had a comparable medical situation. And then we didn't have intervention by the federal government, but there was massive, massive damage to the economy, massive damage to people. On a per capita basis, the death rate was much higher than the death rate we're looking at now. And so I think our elected officials, primarily in Washington, said, we don't want to, we don't want to, to uh, miss, we don't want, we don't want to have people, to the extent that we can help, we don't, we want to help people get through this, we want to help businesses get through this, and we don't want to have our economy crash and burn. We want to have an economy after this is over. And, and we didn't know where COVID was. I mean, if you go back two years, we didn't know where COVID was going. We didn't know um, when the vaccines would be developed, et cetera. So yeah, I, I give a lot of slack to our elected officials uh, in, in terms of the, the money they've allocated simply because th- this was an emergency, the likes of which we'd never seen. Yeah, I mean, there wasn't a lot of uh, uh, voices saying, hey, wait a minute, you're doing too much. I mean, I think everybody whatever decisions were made were made uh, based on the facts that they had at hand at the time. And since we didn't have a lot of experience with that sort of thing, I guess it was probably safer to overspend than to underspend. And there's also been, been um, valid criticism that if you look at a lot of the programs, they weren't targeted very well. Well, my answer to that is, yeah, we could have had a debate that probably would have gone on the months that maybe would have resulted in those programs being targeted more and maybe would have saved money. But in the meantime, people are suffering. So I think what our elected officials wanted to do, they wanted to pass a sufficient amount of money that would help the economy, help people, help businesses and institutions. And they wanted to do it quickly. And that's this is what we had. So no question that that $5.5 trillion is now contributing to inflation as it's being spent. But I'm not. I'm not sure we would have done anything differently, given that, or I would have done anything differently if I was in a position of an elected official uh, when these decisions were made. Well, you know, politicians have always been guilty. Of this again is not a political statement because both parties have done it at, at one time or another. I've always been guilty of kicking the can down the road. I mean, sure. <laughs> as long as elections happen every two years for Congress and. Yeah, a, a, a senator served six years, and they've always got their eye on what's going to happen in the next election, and so they won't keep people as happy as possible. I mean, that's, uh, that's right, and, and yeah, and and why we're we're kicked the can this down the road in the sense that five and a half trillion was all borrowed, so it's added the national no. debt, and it's going to add the interest payments, and that is a looming issue. But again, I I totally agree with you, Don. Uh, unless we see some economic numbers that show that this is really threatening our economy, um, nothing's going to be done about it. 
especially in an election year. <laughs> well, especially in an election year. But the thing, and I don't, this maybe gets off track a little bit. The thing to watch, the national debt is really going to be a problem if we start seeing the, the foreign investors not want to invest in dollars. That, that's the real signal. And that's not happened yet. So we can, we can pay the interest uh, and we can get by and we don't really have to pay that money off. It's, it, 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 it rolls over to future generations. But if we start to see international investors fleeing U.S. investments, dollar-denominated investments, that's a signal that there's a problem with our management of our governmental affairs. Well, we, we want to talk about the uh, the effects of the Ukraine situation on the economy. We'll talk about also in the future segment, we'll talk about interest rates and what you see there, mortgage rates and how it affects uh, people in other ways other than their week-to-week spending uh, and uh, how it's going to affect the housing market. Uh, we still have a supply chain problem. Uh, car dealers cannot get an adequate supply of cars. Uh, they're all saying that they're just, you know, they have a handful of cars on their market. And so all of those things we'll discuss. Our guest is Dr. Mike Walden, and uh, we will be back right after these messages with another segment. And we'll begin to look at those, uh, those facts and figures uh, as, uh, as I've outlined. And we'll do that right after these messages. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, we'll probably stay together. Probably? <laughs> it's been 23 minutes since I ate. <laughs> I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. The possibility of lung cancer can be pretty scary, especially if you're one of approximately 8 million current or former smokers at high risk. That's why SaveByTheScan.org wants you to know that now there's a breakthrough low-dose CT scan that can detect lung cancer early, and it only takes 60 seconds. You stop smoking, now start screening. For an easy quiz to see if you're eligible, visit SaveByTheScan.org. It could save your life. SaveByTheScan.org is brought to you by the American Lung Association's Lung Force Initiative and the Ad Council. We continue with Carolina Newsmakers. Here's Don Curtis. Our guest is Dr. Mike Walden this week. He is, of course, uh, our resident expert on the economy, especially in North Carolina. Uh, He is, uh, uh, I I guess the best term to say he is in a second career now because he is now a professor emeritus at NC State. Uh, But uh, he is staying busy writing books and uh, delivering speeches and still studying the economy. So let's talk a little bit about the Ukraine situation. Uh, you know, uh, wars uh, have a devastating effect on budgets. Uh, this situation is so different because we're supplying a lot of money. But on the other hand, uh, you look at it and all these uh, supplies that we are sending over there have to be uh, manufactured. So in one way, it's pumping money into the economy. 
the uh, Ukraine situation, whenever it ends, is going to, there's going to be a massive amount of aid coming from a lot of people to rebuild that country. How, how's that all going to turn out, and how does that affect uh, Don Curtis and, and Joe Blow right here in Raleigh, North Carolina? <laughs> well, it depends on who's going to pay, who's paying for those weapons. My guess is the Ukrainians aren't really paying right now. Uh, they're, they're ringing up a tab, and of course, uh, if and when this war ends and Ukraine is rebuilt, then the question is who's going to pay for that. And so my guess is a lot of this is going to be donated from countries like the U.S. and, and other NATO countries. But uh, the, 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 so far, so far, I think the just the economic implications of the Ukraine war have been better than what could have happened. The real fear, Don, when this war started was that we would end up with a face-to-face -face confrontation between U.S. troops, we'll call them U.S. troops, I mean NATO, but really U.S. and NATO troops and Russian troops. Uh, we've only had, in, since World War II, three times when U.S. and Russian forces came face-to-face -face that potentially could have ended up in a shooting war. One was, was the uh, Berlin airlift, 1947. Uh, the second was the Cuban Missile Crisis, 1962. And the third was the Yom Kippur War in, in the Middle East. I believe that was 1973. In all three instances, there were Russian forces and UN forces deployed, um, uh, and, and, and they could have actually come in contact, and who knows where that would have led. That has not happened. So, so, uh, so, so things could be worse in terms of the price of oil and the price of commodities, et cetera, because it looks like so far that's been avoided. Now, all that said, um, there's still a lot of uncertainty where this war is going, and in economics, uncertainty manifests itself in terms of higher prices, particularly, particularly for necessities. And by necessities, I mean things like oil, but also wheat and corn and barley and precious metals. All of those commodities have gone up. That's really what's pushing prices higher at the in the grocery store. Um, so there's there's going to be a continuing ongoing impact from that based on how long this war this war lasts. But but what I'm saying is it could have been a lot worse if we had had a confrontation between U.S. forces and and of course it could still come. But I think the Biden administration has been and I'm not certainly not a military person, but I think they've been very careful to to avoid that because that means nuclear weapons could come into play. That means uh, shooting back and forth between NATO and Russian forces. You probably would have seen, I mean, oil got up to $120 a barrel. It's now back around 100. You would have easily seen $200, $250 uh, a barrel oil. I mean, that just would have been um, un unthinkable in terms of the impact on prices. What, uh, uh you know, I, I did not realize that the Ukraine was such a huge supplier of wheat to Russia. Uh, Russia needs the Ukraine about as much as uh, uh, the Ukraine needs Russian oil. That, that's right. And of course, wheat is, um, commodities are usually uh, a world market for commodities. Uh, wheat is wheat, corn is corn. I mean, there can be some variation. And one reason why we're seeing in the grocery store, particularly things like bread and other wheat-based products go up so much is because a lot of that Ukrainian wheat is, is likely not going to be harvested this year. And so that makes the other wheat that's around uh, that much more expensive. 
So uh, yeah, this is going to be, uh, and I think in terms of Ukraine, uh, we're not going to let them starve. I mean, we're going to, we're, I'm sure the West will provide them with, uh, we'll try to provide them with food, et cetera, to get them through. Russians, it's another matter. Um, I think what's one of the things this, and again, this is something I haven't studied much because it's not my field, but as I've followed the war, I've come to the realization, uh, the Russian economy and the Russian military machine is 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 not as as um, dominating as I think a lot of us thought. I mean, what people, experts, military experts said when this started that, oh yeah, the Russians are going to be in Kiev. It's just a matter of hours. You're going to count it in hours, not days. And now it's what, month and a half? And they've actually withdrawn from Kiev. And the Russian economy is, is uh, really taking a big hit. So um, it's going to be very, very interesting to see where Russia goes uh, from this. I mean, Russia is an important country in the world, and they do have a lot of precious uh, metals. Uh, they have obviously oil, they have natural gas, et cetera. Um, I think the big question I have, assuming we get through the Ukraine war with, and, and maybe Russia backing off, is where's Russia going to go in, in, in 10 years, in 15 years? How are they going to be governed? Uh, are they going to be invited back into the world economy? So I think this, uh, I think, I, my guess is if Putin had to do all over again, he wouldn't have done this because I think he's been absolutely stunned by the resistance he's gotten from the Ukrainians, as well as the support the Ukrainians have gotten from the West. And to have Russia, Russian troops retreat uh, from a country uh, that is what, um, uh, less than half its size in terms of people is just, uh, just amazing to me. Well, it's, it's so interesting. And of course, almost all the experts agree that, uh, uh, if he wins, he loses. Uh, the, the, and of course, everyone right. also is in the situation of, well, how does he come out of this thing saving any amount of face? Uh, yeah. and the other thing that's sort of interesting, I, I noticed yesterday, he was increasing his sale of oil to India significantly, but, uh, you know, what's going to happen there is those, those people are going to resell it to the people he's cutting right. off. Right. Right. Uh, I mean, yeah. This is, this uh, is mixing up the geopolitics of the world. This is, this is probably going to be a turning point in the geopolitics in the world in terms of alliances. I mean, I could see a scenario where if Russia is, is defeated and especially if they have regime change, change there, that could have a big impact on China. Uh, China might might become less aggressive, which would obviously help us. Uh, India, people forget that India is a massive country. They're going to overtake China soon in terms of population. Uh, they've sort of been playing both sides. They've been friends with us. They've been friends with the, the Russians, uh, not so much with the Chinese. So it's going to be very, very interesting to see where the geopolitics of this go uh, once this conflict is is over. Well, uh, I guess the biggest surprise has been that the Trump card that I guess the Russians were counting on is their their use of their oil exports uh, exports just simply hasn't happened yet, uh, and natural gas uh, oil and uh, natural gas energy sources are being supplied some way some other way. I'm not quite sure how that's all working. Yeah, that, 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 I agree. And I think uh, credit hats off to um, to Germany and, and other countries who have been dependent upon Russian uh, natural gas. 
Uh, President Biden has said we're going to try to fill some of that gap. I think also some countries in in, uh, in the Middle East are going to try to fill that gap. And this may actually cause uh, the West European, European countries, particularly Germany, but a prime one, to rethink their, their environmental policy. I mean, they've been shutting down their nuclear plants. They've obviously been shutting down their, their coal plants, et cetera, depending totally on Russian natural gas. Interestingly, uh, a country that, that has gone the other way, you don't hear so much about them being impacted, is France. The majority of French electric is actually generated from nuclear plants. France has, has embraced nuclear energy. And that's something that's that um, I think energy experts have, have been talking about a while that that uh, uh, nuclear plants today are not the nuclear plants of our father and grandfathers where there was a lot of issues with safety. They can be made very, very safe and they're very, very friendly to the environment. Now you do have some disposal issues, but apparently there's some advances made on that already. We may see, may, we may see a, um, a regeneration of interest uh, in nuclear power. And of course, one of the things that should be uh, good for the economy is the fact that NATO is going to come out of this much more unified, much stronger, perhaps with even a couple of additional members. Mm -hmm. And this is to be uh, uh, for the overall economy of the United States has got to be a good sign. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, that goes along with my statement about I think there's going to be a reshuffling of the geopolitical role. You're absolutely right. NATO. Uh, that was somewhat fragmented uh, in previous and recent years. Uh, the countries weren't contributing to the military budget like they had said. That was President Trump's big beef. And, of course, President Trump threatened to have the U.S. withdraw from NATO, which I think most people thought was just unthinkable. But, uh, yeah, NATO has been largely um, um, uh, united on this. Now, I will say there, people know there's a French election coming up, uh, Macron and Le Pen. Le Pen has said some things that, that seem to suggest that she's less enthusiastic about supporting the Ukrainians. So some things there could change, but largely speaking, you know, you mentioned two countries or countries wanting to join NATO. I think Finland and Sweden are the ones that have said, Hey, they want, they want in soon. And the Russians have, have, have rattled the nuclear threat uh, uh, in response saying, well, we, we may, if that happens, we may have to be beef up our nuclear defenses along the border with Finland. So, yeah, the, the whole geopolitical map, I think, could be shaken up over the next several years. Of course, the interesting thing about Russia is they have more borders with more countries than anybody else because they have such a massive amount of land. Uh, they do. And of and, course, uh, they're all not they're all not ethnic Russians. They have um, uh, people more Asian extraction in the western part of their country. And and um, yeah, it is a massive country. I forget how many uh, 13 time zones. Uh, it takes forever to take a train across Russia from uh, from the Pacific to, to the European part of Russia. Yeah, I think they've just they've overreached on this. I don't think they thought any they didn't think anything like this would happen. They thought this was going to be a quick grab of Ukraine. And uh, um, again, I think this is going to have profound political ramifications for Russia as well as economic ramifications. Well, will Russia defaulting on their debt, and it's highly likely that they're going to do that, how's that going to affect the economy, uh, the worldwide economy, and then how does that affect our economy here in the United States? Well, that's a hit. That's a negative. And it, it means that uh, people have lost money, depending on who owns the, the Russian debt. I'm sure there's some, some large amounts of that here in the U.S. 
And if you if you if that does happen, if and when it happens, if it's on top of a worldwide pullback in the economy, a recession, if even so, because most countries now are decide are experiencing higher inflation, and they're they're going ahead to raising interest rates. Their central banks are just like our Federal Reserve is, which is going to slow down the economy. And if you had a major default by Russia on top of that, that would increase the chances of a of a pause in economic growth and maybe even a little bit of a retreat. Well, it's going to be something that's going to be fascinating to watch because if you, if you know how this has gotten unwound. The question is, how are we going to wind it back up? And Yeah. And, I mean, uh, who would have thought? I never would have thought there would be a, a war in Europe that is recalls World War II like this. I mean, I, I thought this was, yeah, maybe you do it in Syria, maybe you do it in in some smaller countries, but a country the size of Ukraine that involves uh, the U.S. and NATO taking side one side and Russia the other side. Who would have thought this we'd be doing this in the 21st century? But but here it is. Interesting. Our guest is Dr. Mike Walden. He is the professor emeritus of uh, economics at North Carolina State University. And we're going to come back. And when we do this next time, we're going to talk about interest rates and mortgage rates and what you see happening in the next year and even longer. We'll do that when we come back with another segment of Carolina Newsmakers. You stay tuned. Psst, Steven. Who said that? Me, down here. What are you, a yellow booger? I'm a banana slug, Steven. Well, uh, what are you doing in my room? I'm your sense of adventure. Don't you remember me? Don't you know that we miss you? Miss me? Who misses me? You know, all your friends in the forest. The trees, the pond, that little fort that you made out of branches. We all miss you. Mom took me to the forest last year. I'm a slug, Steven. It took me a long time to get here. Oh, I guess that makes sense. The forest is not that far away. Have an adventure today. I'm sure your mom would take you. You're right. I should get out. I want to have fun. Play puddles, catch frogs, and climb trees. Hey, Mom! Yeah, hon? <gasps> Stephen! What is that in your hand? It's my sense of adventure, Mom. It's telling me we need to get out of the house and have some fun in nature today. Come to the forest where the more adventurous you lives. Check out discovertheforest.org for cool places nearby. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. When you went car shopping, you meant business. You ace vehicle history searches and test drives. You out salesmen to the salesman. Now you've got your wheels. If you manage that, you can get your retirement plan on track. Visiting aceyourretirement.org can help. With 401k tips and smart saving strategies, you'll have the info you need to get more for your future. Go to aceyourretirement.org because when it comes to speeding past financial challenges, you're an ace. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Now, once again, with today's Carolina Newsmakers, here's Don Curtis. We're back with Dr. Mike Walden, our uh, resident expert on the economy. I don't know how many times we've had Dr. Walden on this program and on WPTF through the years. It's uh, well into the hundreds. And uh, if you'd like to go back on Carolina Newsmakers and hear some of his other programs, we've got them all archived. And you can go back and listen to it and, and see how well he forecasted uh, and what happened and uh, of course right now we opened the program talking about inflation and then we spent the second segment talking about uh, the Ukraine situation this segment we want to talk about interest rates mortgage rates and what you see there but before we do that I know you have just published another book so tell us about that uh, yes I have done it's my 14th uh, it is called I grab it here 
because it's got a long title, Relaunch. Relaunch is the main title. And then the subtitle is How Families Can Be Renewed and the American Dream Revived in the New Independent Lifestyle of the Post-Pandemic Economy. Uh, essentially, to boil that, that down. Long, that is a long title. It Relaunch is, long title. is easy. Relaunch is easy. Well, it's in big print too. The other stuff's in small print. <laughs> um, okay. But essentially, Don, it's it's as, as the pandemic was going on, and economists were thinking about, well, how's life going to be after the pandemic? And of course, there was a lot of focus on the big economy, um, uh, maybe the energy market, etc. And my thoughts turned to, well, how's this going to affect families? And of course, families have a lot of issues, especially if you live, say, in a big metropolitan area like like uh, the Triangle. Um, Great jobs are here with great pay, educational institutions, but the cost of living is very high, especially housing. Commuting is difficult because of traffic congestion, et cetera. So the thought occurred to me that if you were someone who could take advantage of these emerging technologies like remote work, uh, like drone delivery, like telemedicine, et cetera, maybe what we could envision happening for some people, not everyone, but for some people down the road would be people would uh, move out of the metropolitan areas, not everyone, but some, to uh, say a small town, or I don't know, Kinston, Laurenburg, uh, uh, Rockingham, where housing costs are much lower, they remotely work, they're gonna save a lot of money on their, their housing bill, they won't have a commute, so that's more money saved. Uh, they can still, uh, maybe if their doctor is still in Raleigh, they can they can still take uh, keep in contact through telemedicine, which is coming. More of that's coming. Drone delivery is now coming. Uh, you can even have children educated remotely if you want. So uh, th that's what this book revolves around. I think it, it talks about a perhaps different lifestyle for people that we really have never envisioned in the past. And and Don, this could be some this could be something that could revive. Many of our counties in North Carolina uh, that are losing population. I think the last census, 2020 census, shows I think somewhere between 15 and 20 of our counties, 100 counties, actually lost population. And you you get around the state. There there are small towns that, that had glory years. Now they're they're barely hanging on. So if people can free themselves from the need to live in in large metro areas where costs are higher. And you hear that all the time. People complain. I know they'll complain to me about the high cost of housing, uh, traffic congestion, et cetera, in the triangle, but they don't have a choice. Well, this would give some people choice. Now, it would depend upon, obviously, the availability, if you're going to remotely work, of reliable high-speed internet. But that is coming. And it's either going to come through the traditional ways of a cable uh, from your telephone pole or maybe uh, uh, through the ground or through uh, the uh, satellite services uh, that Elon Musk is rolling out as we speak. And Jeff Bezos is not far behind where you're going to get your internet service from satellites. And these are not going to be your satellites that some people get internet service and TV service from that are like 25,000 miles up. These are going to be what are called low orbiting satellites, 600 miles up. So the, the reception, the uh, quality, the reliability is much, much, much better. So I think that's, that's going, my forecast is by the end of this decade, uh, everyone, wherever you live in North Carolina, you, can, you will have access to high-speed internet. And that opens, as you said, so many doors to so many uh, different areas of the way we live, work, and play. Oh, well, it does. I mean, yeah, internet's like electric. Uh, uh, you're a little older than I am, Don, but but I can remember my grandmother, a late grandmother, telling me who, um, or my, my my dad's mother, 
and they grew up on a farm in Southwest Ohio, telling me about when uh, electricity came and how that changed their lives. Uh, my dad was born in a barn, uh, no electricity, everything was kerosene, et cetera. Um, and high-speed internet, I think, is the, is the complement to what electricity was over 100 years ago. You really need it in today's modern world. Doesn't matter if you just want entertainment, uh, work, accessibility. I mean, it is actually a necessity, but I think, I think it will be, we will see a day not too far off where it, anyone, wherever you are in North Carolina, uh, if you want it, you can get high speed and reliable internet. Let's uh, turn to what we uh, said at the beginning of this segment, we were going to talk about and that's interest rates and mortgage rates, mm. because that obviously is a great concern to people who are either buying a home or thinking about refinancing. It also has to do with uh, uh, the uh, what we buy and what we pay for and the amount of interest. Uh, uh, and that's all tied into the, how people use their disposable income, because if they begin to save more, they might not have as much debt. So where are we going with interest rates and mortgage rates? And let's first take, the, say, the next year and then maybe look beyond that as well. Well, there is absolutely no question that in uh, this year and probably into the next year, they are going up. Now, this is a little background. Uh, this is the purview of the Federal Reserve. Federal Reserve is the central bank of the U.S. It's in an independent agency. It's not under the, it's not a line department like HHS or defense, et cetera, the president. It's an independent agency. Uh, they do a lot of regulatory uh, things in the banking system, but, but in terms of economic policy, they have the ability to move the economy either faster or slower. Uh, in, by their interest rate policy and also by their ability to essentially print money. Over the last uh, two, three years, especially because of COVID, they've been trying to move the economy faster. When, when we lost, uh, what, 20% uh, of our jobs in the first part of 2020, the Federal Reserve was there to lower interest rates, to try to stimulate businesses to, to borrow and expand and hire more people, et cetera. And um, uh, they, were, they were successful. I mean, we, we were able to get out of the COVID recession fairly, fairly quickly. Now, though, and this goes back to our conversation in the first segment, where because of the big money that the federal government has pushed into the economy, as well as supply chain problems, we have this issue with inflation. And now what the Federal Reserve wants to do or needs to do is to slow things down, slow spending down, and cause people to spend a little less. That will take the pressure off of prices. Think about inflation. Uh, think, think about this picture. You put a pot of water on the stove. You forget about it. The, the, the heat builds up. The steam builds up. The, the cap on the stove is, is almost falling off. That's inflation. And what the federal government wants to do is turn the heat down, turn the heat down on the economy. Not turn it off, but turn it down. And the way they do that is raise interest rates, which they are already started to do, as well as pull money out of the economy. They're going to do both. Now, the trick for them, Don, is to do it in such a way that it slows things down, it does, that it does not bring things to a halt, uh, which would be a recession. And that's a trick that the Federal Reserve um, is going to have, have to, if they're going to achieve that, it's going to be partly by luck. because. Their, their, their control over the economy or their ability to, to move the economy is not precise. This is not physics, where if you do A, you know you're going to get B. In economics, if you do A, you're going to get B, but, but there's a lot of, of, uh, of flux around that. So the, the, the big concern that, that, and I'm hearing more, I think I said this the last time that I was on your program, 
So I was kind of early to this. Uh, the big concern that more and more economists are having, I saw Bank of America uh, came out with a statement the other day saying the same thing, is that uh, there is a chance that the Federal Reserve will not be able to slow the economy down and reduce inflation unless a recession is part of that. And that was actually what we went through 40 years ago. So what I'm telling people and businesses when I make talks is you need to have a plan. You need to, you need to consider this. You need to have a plan. If there, there may be a recession at the end of the year, I don't think it'll be a, a severe, severe recession, but it'll be noticeable. Unemployment will go up, business revenues will go down, et cetera. I think it'll be short-lived, but you need to have a plan. And I think for the average household, uh, the way to address that is to start thinking about, hmm, do I really want to buy that new vehicle? Do I really want to go on that vacation? Maybe I ought to start saving more. Maybe I ought to get ready and pile some money in case one of our one of the family members who's working gets laid off. So uh, I don't say this to scare people. I don't say this to, to uh, um, um, make a dramatic statement, but I do think that people need to worry about this because uh, more times than not, when the Federal Reserve has done this, they, they tried to cool the economy off, there has been a recession. So history is, is with the idea that we'll have a recession sometime later this year. Now, when you say interest rates are going to go up, we're not talking about getting back to 6% rates and what was considered traditional years ago, are we? Are we? Oh, yeah. Well, uh, mortgage rates are already at 5.2. Yeah, it depends. on. No, I think there's a rule of thumb, Don, that uh, for monetary economists, these are people who follow Federal Reserve policy. There's a rule of thumb that says that if you have an inflation rate of X and you want to get X down, you want to lower X, you're going to have to move interest rates for a while higher than X. Well, what that means in today's world, which is the latest inflation report was 8.5. That means the Federal Reserve would have to move their interest rates up above 8.5. So um, I don't know if they'll do that. But no, I think we'll see a substantial increase in inflation rates. And it's already some of the some of the interest rates that people pay are already reflecting this. That In other words, they're expecting this. and They've already gone up, as I said, mortgage rates, mortgage rates a year ago. 30-year fixed mortgage rate was, was around 3, 3%. It's already 5.2% and rising. Well, that's uh, something that, uh, and, and I think the good news of what you said is if we do have a recession, you're looking for something to be mild compared to some of the recessions we've had in the past. I do because we don't we don't have a lot of excess income. One of the problems with the what what's called the Great Recession, uh, the the last one, the official. Well, we had a COVID recession, but before that, we had so-called Great Recession, 2007, 2009. It was a one spark by overinvestment in the housing market. One of the problems with that that made that recession so deep was people were over leveraged. People had borrowed too much money. We don't have that now. Actually, the financial balance sheet of households is, is pretty good, pretty is pretty modest. So I think that tells me that uh, this recession, if we do have a recession, it's it's not going to be anything like the the Great Recession of seven of oh seven to oh nine. So um, okay, so interest rates are going to go up, and we may have a mild recession. Uh, mm -hmm. What duration do you think we're talking about as far as uh, uh, a recessionary period? Uh, three well, to six to, months? Yeah, to be an official recession, uh, it, it's going to—it's be—it's two quarters. So yeah, you're talking about six months. And if I had to pinpoint it right now, or guess right now, or forecast right now, I'd say the the um, 
the recession that I'm thinking about might happen would be fourth quarter of this year and first quarter of next year. Okay, so what could change between now and then that would change uh, that process? Uh, supply chain could get fixed real quick, which most experts think it's not, but supply chain could, could, could fix for, uh, very quickly. Another thing that could change is people respond very rapidly to the Federal Reserve's moves and, they, and you see a deceleration of spending. And for example, the first, we got the uh, latest numbers on retail sales. When you adjust for inflation, they were actually down. So that, that's why uh, in this economic business that I'm in, uh, things are not precise. Uh, how people react in the past may not be how they react now, but that this would be good if people really start to decelerate their spending. And if we can, can see better fixes in the supply chain, uh, then that could, that could mean the Federal Reserve will not have to go as far of raising interest rates and that could forestall a recession. And I guess the price of oil uh, by the uh, barrel is a, is a good example of that because if we had asked you the question maybe four weeks ago, you would have probably said oil is going to be hundred fifty dollars a barrel, and it's actually come down. So I guess you uh, yeah, don't I don't really know, know what's going on. Yeah, I don't know if I would have said one hundred fifty, but yeah, it has come down. It's uh, it peaked at about one hundred twenty, and we're down around a hundred. It's been bouncing around a hundred, but yeah, that and I think. My, my view on that is that it's it's come down because of the good news in the sense that, Ukraine, that the Ukrainians seem to be winning. We'll be back with another segment with Dr. Mike Walden here on Carolina Newsmakers right after we take time out for these messages. Okay, men, this is your time. Maybe you didn't choose this, but you're here now. You're going to go out there and be an all-star caregiver. It's up to you. So what are you going to do? You're going to go grocery shopping, cook, clean, be there emotionally and physically. You got to dig deeper, drive them to physical therapy, doctor's appointments. Don't you forget about the pharmacy. I know you won't because that's what caregivers do. Don't give up. Don't ever give up. This is your time to show the world, your family and yourself that you're tougher than tough. Go out there and be the best caregiver this world has ever seen. Caregiving is tougher than tough. Find the care guides you need at aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Melissa from Michigan. I work an extra part-time job serving lunch at my child's school, but I still can't afford to put food on our table. Daniel from California. Choosing whether to pay the rent or pay to fix the car to get to work doesn't leave us with much at all. Now we can't even pay for meals. Hunger is a story we can end. End it at feedingamerica.org. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. Carolina Newsmakers continues, and once again, here's Don Curtis. The final segment of Carolina Newsmakers this week, featuring our regular guest, Dr. Mike Walden. Professor Emeritus of Economics at North Carolina State University. We opened the program, the first segment, we talked about the inflation that we're going through and how that's affecting everyone. And then we, in the second segment, we talked about the Ukraine war and how that is affecting the economy. Uh, we've got a number of other things I guess we could look at. We've talked about the supply chain and that's still a problem. Uh, we have uh, uh, a, a, a series of announcements here in North Carolina about new plant openings. Mm -hmm. 
Mike, do you see any of these announcements? In fact, the most recent one, I guess, is the car manufacturer, mm -hmm. uh, 7,000 jobs. Do you see that slowing down during this period of time, or will the changes in the economy be so short-term that they will just proceed and be right on time? Uh, I, I think North Carolina is going to continue to be attractive to, to businesses moving here as well as uh, people. I mean, we've had a good track record the last couple of years. And I actually, I'm, I'm a person who thinks that that track record will actually be enhanced in coming years. One reason I say that is if you look at how North Carolina got through the COVID years, we did, we did very well compared to other states. In fact, there was just a, a paper published by the very prestigious um, National Bureau of Economic Research. It's not a, a government-affiliated uh, think tank. It's, it was developed in 1920. It's the oldest economics think tank. Uh, it's the top one, in my opinion, in the country. They published uh, three economists that looked at a variety of factors, economic factors, education factors, uh, uh, mortality factors. And I won't go into the metrics, uh, but they rank states in terms of how well they did overall in those factors. Uh, if you look at North Carolina, we ranked 13th best, 13th best in terms of uh, coping with the, the, the COVID, um, uh, COVID years. Um, uh, only in the southeast or only in our immediate neighborhood were we beaten by one state, South Carolina. They were 12th. Our neighbor to the north, Virginia, was 34th. Uh, and unfortunately for my wife, who's a New Yorker, New York was 49th. So, so um, uh, North Carolina's reputation, I think, has actually been enhanced by, uh, not, certainly not to say that no damage was done. Damage was done everywhere. But in terms of relative damage, how we did, our damage was much less than it was for other states. I think that sends a message to businesses uh, that they're going to add to all the other good things that North Carolina has, its location, its, its beautiful topography, great, great educational institutions, uh, very business-friendly overall uh, government. I think it's just going to enhance that. So I look for more announcements coming down the road. Now, there, you know, if we have a recession at the end of the year, there might be some pause, but I don't see anything stopping. The, the two, one, one thing, Don, real quickly that I thought was, was noteworthy about the two transportation investments, the, the Vintast and then Toyota EV factory and the Triad, is they are on the periphery of those uh, metropolitan areas, which means it could take some pressure off of adding more and more people to those metro areas where real estate is so expensive and allow people who work at those facilities maybe to move, live more in the rural area. You know, maybe they'll have a 30-minute drive, but they won't have to compete for all the other people, the millions of people who are in the metro areas for housing and add to congestion. So I thought that was very, very important. That those, those two plants are, are, are on the periphery of the metropolitan areas. For a long time, we've been saying that we should spend a lot more money on infrastructure while interest rates are low and, and uh, essentially there's not a lot of inflation. Well, now we've got a lot of infrastructure money coming out, but we're in a period of inflation and higher interest rates. So should we slow that down? Uh, because uh, I've heard of one project that the uh, government's building that the bids are already almost 25% higher than they estimated a year ago. Yeah. So should we should we rethink that and maybe slow down a little bit? Well, there are gonna, they're gonna slow down. They're gonna take longer. I think that was already said by the transportation department. Um, no, I, I, I think we, uh, I sat on a committee 
commission, I should say, transportation commission for two years where we looked at our future transportation needs in the state and looked at the revenues uh, as the state grows and adds people, et cetera, uh, we are going to need more transportation investments unless we have a substantial part of our population able to work remotely. And, and if we, for example, if 30% of our workforce works remotely and incidentally pre-pandemic was only 8%, that can make a big difference in terms of the use of our highways. And so that's another uh, factor, and I talk about this in my new book, that, that speaks to the benefits of this potential new lifestyle where people are living remotely, they're working remotely, they're not competing there and getting on the, 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 uh, the morning rush into work, uh, they, don't, they don't commute. Uh, and so we could see our transportation meet, needs uh, slacken a little bit. Uh, but we'll have to wait and see. But uh, clearly, if we continue at the pace of growth that we have been, and we are continuing at where those people live, yeah, we're going to need more infrastructure investments. Uh, everywhere I go, I see signs, help wanted, uh, bonuses being paid mm -hmm. to sign on now. How long is this going to last? Because this is kind of counter to some of the other things you've said. Well, it's getting better. It's getting better. Um, we, we, are, we are now back. In fact, statewide, we are above pre-pandemic employment. Uh, our labor force participation rate has been, been inching up slowly. Uh, so it is getting better. And I think as COVID becomes less and less of an issue, uh, people are going, people who have been on the sidelines worried about going back to work, worried about interacting with other people, uh, families having trouble with daycare. I think those, those will loosen, loosen up. Um, I think one, one of the, if you look at where the employment shortage is, it's not in every sector. Uh, it's in primarily sectors like uh, leisure hospitality, uh, construction, uh, personal services. And these are sectors that tend to have paid below average wage rates. And one of the things that happened on during uh, COVID was a lot of people, a lot of workers who were in those industries and who were, were furloughed or let go during COVID, they actually took it upon themselves to retool themselves. In fact, it's estimated, one study estimated that 10% of the workers in leisure hospitality um, didn't go back to leisure hospitality because they now upgraded their skills and they're working in other jobs in healthcare and technology, et cetera, where they're earning a lot more pay. So we, we, we have had a labor shortage, but I think what that labor shortage is, is turning into is more of a labor reallocation. And that sets up a lot of challenges, for example, for uh, the restaurant industry. I think they're going to have to respond with higher pay. They've already been doing that. Uh, pay in the restaurant industry has, has gone up twice as fast than in other industries. And they're going to have to also use start to use more technology. The supply chain, of course, is still a, very much a topic. And that affects everything you said. I think you said earlier that one of the things that could happen that would change your forecast of a slowdown in the economy would be an improvement in the supply chain. What has to happen there for that to change significantly? Well, we have to work all, out all the kinks. I mean, just when things were beginning to improve, and there are some data that people can track to see this, uh, there have been some improvements in the supply chain. Uh, China is now in a shutdown mode. Uh, Shanghai is totally shut down, and some other communities in, in, in uh, China are shut down. So uh, the, the fundamental thing that has to happen to, for the supply chain to get back is we have to 
not just maybe not banish COVID, but just have COVID be something we can live with that you don't we don't have to worry about it killing us. It's more like a flu or or a cold, et cetera. But but in some countries, and China is an example now, maybe they've overacted. Uh, that's not happening. So we have to we have to have that. So so all this ultimately is is COVID based. But I think it's going to one of the things that's going to be interesting for me as an economist, professional economist to watch. I'm hearing more and more people business groups that I talk to say, well, what this is telling us is this being the supply chain issue is we're going to have to do more production here. Uh, U.S. has lost a lot of production, a lot of it going to China and other Asian countries. Uh, and there are people who are saying, we've got to bring that back. It's probably not going to come back <clears throat> and look like it did in the past. It's going to be more uh, t- um, technology based. <clears throat> but I think it's going to be interesting to see if the, what's called the reshoring movement, <clears throat> if that really takes shape in the coming years. How does this affect the housing market? Because again, houses now, uh, Rick Martinez uh, retired and Mm -hmm. put his house on the market. Mm -hmm. He thought it was going to take a month. They sold it the first (laughs) day at above the asking price. Well, that's because it was Uh, Rick and Donna's house. I mean, people wanted to live in that house. (laughs) Um, Yeah, well, the big problem in the housing market, at least in Triangle, is we have tons of people moving here and the builders are trying to build, but they just can't keep pace. So you've got an over, over demand situation. You've got more people wanting to buy than you have new units available to buy. Now, of course, it's not only new units that get sold, but existing people, you have people who, who are here and they've had a house and, and, and they don't want to leave. So um, I don't think there's much short run uh, to expect there unless we do see uh, increases in interest rates, which will slow that buying down. But long run, I think we're going to perpetually have this problem in the triangle. Again, that says maybe we need to, maybe some of those people, if they can work remotely and not live here, they will do that. That'll take some pressure off. Another thing is to uh, look at zoning. Raleigh has already done that. The Raleigh has changed some of its zoning rules to promote higher density. Not that everyone likes that, but I think that's that's one option to think about. And a third option is to have localities look at their rules and regulations to make sure they are not um, demotivating builders from using technology to, move, to be more efficient. I mean, stick book built houses have been the tradition. Uh, in the US for a lot of new homes, but you can build uh, frames for houses, you can build roof for houses in factories and have them sent, uh, uh, transported to the site. And that saves a lot of money. Yet there are some some municipalities in the country where they won't permit that. So I think we need to look at that and make sure that we're not stifling innovation in the construction industry. Okay, we've got about a minute left. Uh, So what should the average person uh, here in the, the Triangle and across the state of North Carolina, what should we look for the next 30 days that will indicate exactly where the economy is going and what should they be most concerned about? Well, um, uh, of course, there are all kind of data that come out. Uh, I think is a, tomorrow we've got a new unemployment report or job market report, I think, from North Carolina. So, so look at that when you hear things about the unemployment rate, job growth, et cetera. Those are, those are real-time indicators that tell you if the economy is growing. Um, and, but, but in terms of where we're going maybe in the next several months, uh, we're, we're in the same group as every, every state in the nation, and that is we're, we're, we're at the mercy of the Federal Reserve in terms of their interest rate policy. So, so I, all the talks I give, I really hammer this at the end. 
Watch the Federal Reserve, watch what they do when they meet and they meet every six weeks, if they raise interest rates, how much they raise interest rates, what are people interpreting that to mean, et cetera. They're really key for where we're going this year. Well, interesting, a great program, Dr. Walden, and we very much appreciate you being on the program with us and sharing these thoughts with us. Jason Kong has produced our program and he'll have another interesting guest for us again next week on the same group of stations all across North Carolina. So the next week, same time, same station. Have a good week, everybody. Carolina Newsmakers is a production of NCN and is heard each week on a network of North Carolina's leading radio stations. To hear a repeat of this broadcast, go to carolinanewsmakers.com. Carolina Newsmakers is produced by Jason Kong. Network engineer is Alan Sherrill. I'm Scott Fitzgerald inviting you to join us again next week, same time for Carolina Newsmakers. Newsmakers.